Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love, your truth, your mercy. Thank you, God, that you're holy. And even though we were sinners, condemned to death, dead in our sin, you loved us. You died for us. You paid the price with the blood of Jesus for our sin. You declared our, our account paid in full. Your righteousness you gave to us declared us righteous. And Lord, you gave us your spirit. We're not an orphan. Children of God. Loved forever. And you're, you're walking with us. You're in us. You're leading us. You're guiding us. We're so grateful. We honor you today. Lord, thank you that you're holy. Thank you that you're worthy. Lord, help us. We want to see you. We want to hear from you. We want you to make us more like you. God, forgive us when so many times we try to make you fit us. But God, would you make us more like you? So, in these moments when we've set aside some time, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others you are calling, do not pass me by. So Lord, our mind's attention now is on your word. Teach us, we'll do what you say by your grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, are you excited to hear the word tonight? Brother Gerald, would you just come and um, share the word tonight? And um, the Lord bless you as you come. Bless us as we listen. All right. Well, I don't know whether to preach or weep. We have been in the presence of the Lord. Holy, holy, holy. My heart's just been overwhelmed tonight, Dennis. <laughs> and you all are here on a Monday night, didn't it? <laughs> oh. 
You know, there's a lot of people praying. And uh, aren't you glad that God answers prayer? And he hears us when we pray. And my heart is full. My heart is full. It's been a battle. I've had some battles today. And we're in a war. And we need to understand that. And it's not a flesh and blood war. Uh, I just want to begin with a quick little apology. Uh, you see me practically in the same attire every service. I'm going to let you in on a secret. I live in Bradenton, Florida. I have one good black sweater, which I wore yesterday, and I have one black sweatshirt, which I'm wearing tonight. And not that you all aren't important, but I'm not going to go out and increase my wardrobe for winter, because I live in sunny Florida. And today's about the first day. We arrived in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, last Thursday, and I don't think we've seen the sunshine of any significance until today. And I am grateful for every ray, and I am so grateful that you are here tonight. Uh, I'd love to be a part of this uh, fellowship, but I don't think I qualify. Because I look around this congregation, and there are a lot of men that have big, bushy beards. And you've got a drummer that has a man bun. <laughs> I, I, I just love this guy. And man, did he, can he make music with that drum set up there. And I just, I just love this kid. And uh, last night we kind of connected a little bit. But I'm envious. I couldn't grow a man bun if, if, my, life, if my life depended on it. Or could I even grow a beard? I've never been able to grow a beard. So I'm just a bald old man. <laughs> and I'll give, you a little I'll give you a little secret. The reason I wear black is because big fat guys look a little slimmer with black on. <laughs> so now all of my secrets are out. <laughs> okay. Uh, tonight I invite you to turn to your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I want to share a few thoughts on the theme, crisis management, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to read about a king of Judah by the name of Jehoshaphat. And I'm going to begin by reading part of this passage, and then we're just going to begin to bounce around from verse to verse, but I want to give you a little... Uh, I want to give you just a little introduction here, and I think the narrative really kind of explains it. Second Chronicles chapter 20. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and some of the Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazion Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. 
Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, The Lord of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you, our God. Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built it, in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon you, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Then we're going to continue in just a little bit to unpack something of this, uh, of this passage. I forgot my water bottle. Could you bring that to me, please? Do you have a box of Kleenexes around here? I'll tell you, it's getting ugly up here because all this worship and my nose is starting to run. Man, isn't it fun to be in the presence of Jesus? God has so many surprises for us, and uh, He's going to meet with us here tonight. I'm convinced of that. He has already met with us. Amen. On the morning of September the 11th, 2001, I awakened to a beautiful Sunday morning in Valencia, Venezuela. I'd been on the road for approximately two weeks, so around 7.30 a.m. I placed a call to Miriam, my wife, uh, of 57 years, I might add, and we're still in love. And she's praying for this experience to inform her that things were going well, that we're gearing up for the Train and Multiply conference with Dr. George Patterson, which would begin later that afternoon. Dr. George Patterson is a missions guru who's still going strong in his middle 90s. Amazing man of God. And he authored this marvelous training course called Train and Multiply. Later that morning, the phone rang and the caller informed my host, a pastor's wife, that something horrible had happened in New York City and that we should turn on the TV. We did. Like many of you here, but not, not all, that's, imagine, over 20 years ago. Some of you weren't even around that are here tonight. But many of you remember that morning. 
And like all of you here who watch those events unfold, I watch them unfold on CNN and Spanish. What an experience. And of course, in the aftermath of that, all international flights were grounded. I was one of, on one of the first flights to get out of, get out of Caracas, Venezuela. What a nightmare. Later, all of us would learn immediately the leaders of our nation were thrust into the crisis management mode. President Bush took off on Air Force One. Vice President Cheney was placed in hiding. And in retrospect, undoubtedly the greatest crisis manager in the Twin Tower disaster turned out to be Time Magazine's Man of the Year, New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani. One thing I want to say to you tonight, my brothers and sisters in Christ, this side of heaven, every person in this place will face some sort of a crisis. Sooner or later, we'll have a rebellious child. We'll experience joblessness, marital infidelity, divorce, an unexpected illness, social rejection, peer pressure, and unexpected death. A few years back, I got a phone call from Lisbon, Portugal. I had married a beautiful young couple, Xavier and Eginani. He was from Spain. Eginani was from Brazil. And Eginani's father was a very close personal friend and one of the key leaders in our church. And his name was Vandersi Fonseca, and he was a director for Vadigui Airlines, the Brazilian airlines at that time, in Lisbon, Portugal. And I had performed the wedding for Xavier and Eginani, one of the most beautiful weddings I've ever performed in all my life. And just a multitude of people there to experience the joy of that event. And now, a few years into their marriage, of all things, they had this little hamster in a cage. And Edgy Nunny somehow got scratched by that little animal. And here she was, five months pregnant. And she got some sort of an infection in her system that eventually cost her not only the life of her child, but her life as well. And I remember for a period of days, I was involved in crisis management with folks across the Atlantic in Lisbon, Portugal. A good friend of mine, Ken Kudo, who has lived in Brazil most of his adult life. Ken is, was born in Japan. After the war, his mother moved to Hawaii. A very bright man and went to Johns Hopkins to study medicine and is preparing to become a medical doctor, but through the ministry of InterVarsity, this Buddhist man came to saving faith in Jesus Christ and became a tremendous missionary to Brazil. I've kind of lost contact with Ken over the last few years. But the truth of the matter is, he's done a phenomenal ministry with a group called Sepao, 
and pastors a large Japanese descendant church in the city of Sao Paulo. Ken told me on one occasion, he says, Geraldo, it's my name in Portuguese, in Japanese, the word crisis carries not only the meaning of crisis, like we understand crisis to be, but it carries with it the nuance of opportunity. Wow. Pause and ponder. Crisis, opportunity. Crisis, opportunity. I would hasten on to say that crises are classrooms where some of life's greatest spiritual lessons can be learned. In the year 2003, I made my first trip to Africa. I was just winding up a, a season with World Partners of the Missionary Church, and I was a regional director. And I was going to rendezvous with some of our missionary church leadership out of Brazil. We're on a fact-finding mission uh, to go to northern Mozambique to check out a tribe called the Makua tribe, one of the largest, according to Patrick Johnstone, a missions researcher in his book, Operation World. He said it was uh, one of the largest animistic slash folk Islamic unreached people groups in the world. And we were going out there to check out the lay of the land. And I got to tell you, I immediately fell in love with Africa. The vastness of Africa just blows you away. You know that movie Lion King? That's what the terrain actually looks like. Got those big rock formations coming up out of the ground. I mean, and you just, the vastness, the plains of Africa are just phenomenal. And in preparation for that trip, my doctor prescribed to me a medication called larium. Told me to take it. It was a preventive against malaria. So I took it and was interesting because I was kind of going through a transition time in my life as well. I was leaving World Partners to become the lead pastor at Lamont Missionary Church up in the Thumb of Michigan. And in that process, there was a certain amount of stress associated with the decision. And uh, I thought I was just having some stress issues, but there was an anxiety level that I had never before experienced in my life and I was even having some physical pain, particularly in my right thigh. And it was like two days before I was scheduled to fly to Mozambique. I thought, man, if I've got a blood clot going on in my leg, I don't want to have a blood clot and have a stroke at 36,000 feet over the Atlantic. That's not good sense. So I thought, I better go see a doctor. So I went to see a doctor, and he checked me out. He said, man, the blood flow is excellent. Everything's in order. He said, my guess is you probably got a little pinched nerve in your back. I'm going to give you a shot of steroid. That should get you going. And so I took the steroid. But man, you know, some of you have had steroid experience. You just feel like a million bucks. And I just felt like a million bucks. I took off for Africa, had a great time in Africa. But by the time I was finishing up my trip, lo and behold, those steroids had done their job. And I was beginning to feel horrible again. And I arrived home, and I still had to take more of this medicine called, this medication called larium, and I, I was taking it. And 
One Sunday morning, I got up and said to my wife, I said, sweetheart, I don't even want to go to church. I don't want to be around people. I'm having an experience of depression unlike anything that I've ever had in my life. You know me enough by now to know that I've hardly had a depressed day in my life. I'm just a gregarious sort of a guy. I love people. And my wife, she tends to be more melancholic. She's a magician. And she began to get very nervous because she said, man, this is just not my man. He just doesn't behave this way. And so anyway, that particular Sunday, I went ahead and went to church, felt terribly uncomfortable in that large crowd, got home that afternoon. We were in our family room, and all of a sudden, I said to her, honey, I feel like whatever this is, this depression that I'm going through, I feel like it's pulling me into a dark hole. And I crawled across the family room on my hands and knees, placed my head in her lap, and I sobbed like a baby. Incredible. The next morning I got up and I said, Lord, I don't know what's going on. And I, I fired up a quick prayer to the Lord and said, man, you've got to help me. I, I'm, I'm a mess. And immediately, one word came to my brain in response to my cry, the word larium. I walked over to our cabinet where Miriam keeps all of those pharmaceutical printouts. Listen, I had every negative side effect of that drug. I got to tell you, in a heartbeat, my depression lifted, and I had a hallelujah dance all around the family room. But... But in, a, in reality, it didn't quite fade that fast. It was a matter of multiple months and even almost a couple of years before I was 100%. I tell you that because I arrived at the Lamont Missionary Church, and there was a, la a lady by the name of Mary Grote in that church who lived with chronic depression chronic depression. And uh, Mary was in the hospital. She was there multiple times during our time at Marlette, Michigan. And I went in to see Mary, and uh, we talked a little bit about her depression and some of her struggles. And I said, Mary, prior to this experience that I had with a drug called larium, I would have looked at you and said, just pray about it, sister. But I've experienced something. And I don't even begin to proclaim to know what you're going through with your depression, but I got to tell you, I understand to a certain degree what you're going through. We swapped experiences. Crises are classrooms where some of life's greatest spiritual lessons are learned. My son, our adopted Brazilian boy, his name is Joel David. We adopted him when he was eight days old. And Joel David uh, came to us, this beautiful brown baby, and he grew up to be one of the most handsome, charming young men that you could ever imagine. And he lives in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And uh, he had a marvelous head of hair, Latin style, with a mullet in the back, all kinds of curls. Now he's as bald as his dad. 
shaves his head, but man, does he have a good ball. And to this day, he can attract girls, you know, like molasses attracts flies. I mean, he just, he just, uh, he's had some struggles even in those areas. And some of you that have rebellious children, you understand exactly what I'm saying. If you're a parent, I mean, you weep over your children. My wife and I, on multiple occasions, we just wept in the presence of the Lord, interceding in behalf of our boy. A few years ago, three years ago, he was in a relationship with a young lady. They lived together for 14 years. And then that relationship went sour. And Joel found himself alone. It was a cold January night in Fort Wayne. My wife and I had had come up to Fort Wayne. I had a cousin, the first cousin, who died, and I was to have her funeral. And so we're in Fort Wayne at my daughter Lydia's house. Ten minutes after 10, my son texted me. I said, Dad, are, are you busy? Can you talk? Are you in bed? I said, well, I'm in bed, but I'm not asleep, obviously. He said, can we talk? And I said, Sure. So I called him on the phone, and we talked, and he, he could barely get it out. He said, Dad, I'm going through anxiety unlike any anxiety I've ever gone through in my life. He said, I'm so anxious that even when I go into the bathroom to take a shower, it just seems like the walls are coming in on me. I, I've never gone through anything like this, but the house is, is empty, and I'm home alone, and it's just awful. And he said, I can't sleep at nights just because of the anxiety. Well, I told him I'd come over, and he said, oh, you don't need to do that, because that night it was probably about three degrees above zero, and we had about a foot of snow in Fort Wayne. It was really cold. And we'd just come up from Florida, and he said, you don't need to come. It's just too cold. And, and disconnected the phone, and I told my wife, I think I ought to go. She said, I think you ought to go, too. So I went over. make a long story short, we had a tremendous conversation that evening. And in the course of that conversation, I'm in, I'm in the, the stuffed chair. He's on the couch. And uh, after he shared his heart, I said, son, would you like to pray? Would you want me to pray for you? And he said, uh, yeah. So I went over to the couch, put my arm around, and we began to pray. And that's when things started to get really ugly. Ugly and beautiful all at the same time. I mean, the tears are flowing. on the, He's got his head down on the coffee table. The snot's running. I mean, it's just one of those beautiful, ugly experiences. God really got a hold of my boy. And that was the new beginning. But man, the years to get there. And he's still a work in progress, but God's at work. And we know that he who has begun a good work in him is going to see it through to completion. But some of you can identify. My wife has had three different kinds of cancer in her life, and she is a survivor. And, uh, but oh, this has opened doors of opportunity in terms of ministering to people who are going through similar circumstances. Well, on our biblical narrative tonight, 
Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, was in a crisis situation. And Scripture tells us here that a vast army was coming against him from Edom. That was in verse 2. Verse 12 says, the vast army is attacking us. And then again, in verse 15, there's mention of a vast army. And so Jehoshaphat obviously found himself in a pressure cooker when it came, it came to this situation. There are three things that happened in this text that I want to share tonight because I'm talking to some of you right now that are in crisis. Am I telling the truth? Some of you are going through moments of crisis in your life, even as I speak. Maybe it's a physical crisis. Maybe it's a work-related crisis. Maybe it's a rebellious child crisis. But you're going through a crisis. And if you're not there yet, you will be. Because we all have crises in our life. Notice the steps that Jehoshaphat took. Verses 1 through 13, it said that he and they, referring to the people of Judah, turned to the Lord for help. Let me say this. This is not always a given amongst followers of Jesus. We don't always turn to the Lord to, to help, do we? Typically, you know, we live in a society where we've been told that we need to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and so that's where we start. Instead of immediately turning to the Lord, we turn to everything else, medical science included. We turn to these things, these human solutions. You're going through depression, you take a fistful of medication. And I'm not condemning medication. I had to take some medication to get through my crisis. But immediately, we turn to these things. But the invitation tonight is to turn to the Lord. And Jehoshaphat had already learned a valuable lesson with regards to this, because if you go back to the 18th chapter, there was an event that took place where Ahab, the king of Israel, was being attacked by an enemy, and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah went over to help him at Ramoth Gilead, and he found himself in the thick of a battle. And uh, Ahab, the king of, of Israel, told Jehoshaphat, listen, he said, you go out there in your chariot, but you wear your royal, your royal attire. And I'm not going to wear my royal attire, but you dress up, you know, the robes and the crown, the whole nine yards. But I'm not going to do that. And I don't know what happened to Jehoshaphat, but obviously he had a stooge attack. And so he decided, he decided to, to follow the advice of Ahab, went into battle, got chased by the enemy, and then finally the Lord helped him, and he cried out to the Lord, and, and there were some individuals who chased him, but then they found out that he wasn't the king of Israel. So uh, somebody shot a random arrow that actually hit Ahab right in the middle of his armor. And he sat in his chariot till dusk while the battle raged. 
And Scripture tells us that eventually he died. So Jehoshaphat learned a valuable lesson. So now, in light of this threat, the vast army that was coming against Judah, the vast army that was coming against Judah, the vast army that was coming against Judah, immediately he cried out to God. And I guess the question would be, why this strategy? I think Jehoshaphat realizes that he was fighting a spiritual battle in addition to physical enemies. The enemies that were coming against him were well known for their occult activities. And they were coming against Judah with all of those enemy powers, uh, principalities and powers. They were extremely idolatrous. They were pagan and even promoted, uh, even promoted child sacrifice. So the first step in handling a crisis is to come to the Lord. Turn to Him for help. Amen? That's what we need to do. Step number two. He and they, the children of Judah, opened their minds and hearts to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Verses 14 and 17. It talks about how the Spirit of the Lord fell upon a prophet, and this prophet prophesies and tells Jehoshaphat that the Lord is going to give them a significant victory. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And so that's precisely what happened. In response to that prophetic word, God gave them some significant victory. Now, my question to you tonight is, are you open to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Have you ever received a prophetic word? I have a friend from Brazil. His name is Paulo Roberto. He went to be with Jesus about, about four years ago. My, my best friend ever. Uh, God brought us together in 1976. This man only had a third grade education, and he didn't even complete the third year. One of the best Bible scholars and preachers I have ever heard in my life. An amazing ability to understand Scripture and to apply it. And the man had a prophetic gift. This man spoke into my life on several different occasions. The last word of prophecy that he gave in, you know, wasn't like, thus saith the Lord. He just said, Geraldo. He said, you know what's going to happen? The two of us one day are going to be working together in Africa. And it happened. We ministered together there for a number of number of years. And so, I ask you, I ask you a question tonight. Are you open to the work of God's Holy Spirit in your life? We talked a little bit about that yesterday. Are you, are you afraid? We need not be. As I said yesterday, the Holy Spirit's a perfect gentleman, and we can trust Him. He will do a perfect work 
in our lives with the graces and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so I challenge you tonight to be open to that, to be open. If you want to read a good book on this subject, it's been around for a while, and a guy by the name of Jack Deere, and the book is entitled Surprised by the Holy Spirit. A guy who grew up as what we call a cessationist, he thought that all of this stopped with the early New Testament church, and, you know, spiritual gifts don't apply to our day and to our time. But God convinced him otherwise. I have a good friend in Portugal. His name is Oscar Rodrigues, a Baptist pastor trained at a seminary, a gifted young man. But within the first few years of his ministry, he was at a dead-end street. He was about ready to die spiritually. Nothing was moving forward. And he said, God impressed upon him to study four things. So he started to study. Prayer. He said, I didn't know anything about prayer in seminary. The Holy Spirit, revival, and the second coming of Christ. And I'm here to tell you that that man's life was revolutionized as a result of that. The Holy Spirit has provided some tremendous leadership for us in our lives, and I am grateful to Him for that. Well, the last point that I want to address this evening is, is the third step. The first step, He turned to the Lord for help, and secondly, He opened His mind and heart to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The third step, He began to worship and praise the Lord. Verses 18 to 30. Man, what a, what a story that we have here. He just began to worship the Lord. And, and the Bible says that he bowed down with his face to the ground, Jehoshaphat, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some of the Levites, etc., stood up and praised the God of Israel with a very loud voice. We struggle with that in North America, don't we? Come on, let's tell the truth. You know, music class in junior high school was not my favorite <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. You know, guys were, but I'm here to tell you, some of the places I go in the world, you're going to see worship the way it was designed to be. You go to Africa, and I mean, those people, they dance, they sing, and you just kind of fall in line and go with them. And it's an amazing experience just to be a part of it. And it's loud, and they clap their hands. You do village evangelism, we've got some of those villages, and those African brothers and sisters are out there clapping their hands and dancing. Next thing you know, you've got a crowd of three, 400 people just standing around. And they're participating in the event. Praise and worship. You go to Brazil. I was telling somebody last night, I go to Brazil probably for the first four or five services that I attend because of the, the dynamic of that worship. I just bawl like a baby. That's still one of the side effects of that larium, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I've just, become a, I've just become a ball baby in the midst of all of that. I just stand there and weep, Dennis. And, and, but I tell you, it's powerful stuff. Worship is powerful. 
It drives back the darkness. I'll give you a little tip tonight. Uh, Google up uh, Harvest Church Singapore and listen to some of their worship. Church, mega church, probably five, 6,000 people. Man, some of the best worship I have ever listened to. Oh, the glory of His presence. We, your people, give you reverence. Man, I listened to that for the first time, and the faucet got turned on. I just sat there in the presence of the Lord. That song goes on for 15 minutes, but one of the most powerful worship experiences that I have ever, that I've ever had. And it says the Levites stood up and praised the Lord with a very loud voice. Well, what happened as they praised? Listen to these results. Number one, verse 20. Verse 20. As a result of their worship, the people's faith grew. The people's faith grew. Worship Man, that's the fertilizer for faith. Are you with me, church? Amen. You can sit around. I mean, I hope nobody's crying in their beer. That wouldn't be a very good illustration, would it be? I, I, I just want you to know tonight that, man, worship is powerful. We need not be melancholic within the family of God. We should worship. And as a result, faith grew. It says, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. Then, secondly, God supernaturally intervened. Look at verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And they finished slaughtering the men from Seir. They helped to destroy one another. So that's, that's the next thing. God supernaturally intervened, and the enemy became thoroughly confused. They started to kill each other. Amazing story. Amazing story. So I want to ask you a question tonight. Are you in crisis? Three practical little steps of how to manage your crisis. Call out to God. Call out to God. That's the first step. Step number two, open your heart and mind to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, I need you. And thirdly, just begin to worship the awesome God of the universe. Worship Him for who He is. Worship Him. We're going to transition and do that, but at the end, I want to give you a little heads up. Worship team, you guys can begin to make your way to the platform. We're going to pray for people who are in crisis tonight, okay? That's how we're going to finish. And if you're in any kind of a crisis, we want to pray for you tonight. We have anointing oil for people who are sick and want to be anointed and prayed for. We're going to pray for you tonight, okay? And I just want to give you that little heads up because that's exactly what we're going to do. Let's listen first to the words of this song, and then we'll 
We'll pray together. Your faithfulness, your faith. 
just sink into your heart. I've seen you this evening who's in a crisis maybe it's one you're going in maybe it's one you're feeling the effects from maybe it's one you fear you're about to face and you want to come this evening and pray I'm going to invite you just to pray. In these moments, people are standing. You can get out. I'm going to encourage you to come. Who else is going to come? God wants to answer prayer. I'm the God who healeth thee. 
who else will come? Stand or kneel here. There's some of my friends that can pray. If you can pray, if you can agree with someone in prayer, I want you to come. If there's someone kneeling in prayer, someone standing in prayer, I believe God wants to intervene. I believe, I believe He wants to heal. There are elders here. There's pastors here. If you want to be anointed with oil, James chapter 5 says, Is anyone sick? Call on the elders. Ask them to pray for you. The, the, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I am the God who healeth thee. I heal all your diseases. I, I wonder, is there anyone else that wants to come? There's so many here that we're, we're going to pray. We're going to spend time praying. If if you're, if you have faith and can pray and you want to be seated and just simply agree in prayer for those that are here, I encourage you, you can, you can sit if you want to, but we're going to, we want to do the Lord's will tonight. We want to pray. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world 